Hey guys, I'm here today with the founder of the Church of Ambrosia and the Church of Entheogenic Plants in Zyador in Oakland, California, Dave Hodges. Thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So tell us your background and what intrigued you to first try cannabis and mushrooms. Well, um, I've done a lot of things, but prior to opening the church, um, I was heavily involved in the cannabis industry for over 10 years. And, um, you know, the church came about after legalization happened. It, it really uh, was a bad thing in California. It um, didn't work out so well for anybody. And I, I was given an opportunity to open a cannabis church here in Oakland. So that's what Zydor actually started as a, a cannabis church. And then shortly after we opened up, um, about six months after we opened, Oakland passed the lowest priority for all entheogenic plants. And uh, Oakland already had the lowest priority for cannabis, which is why we chose to open the church up here. But when they passed the all entheogenic plants, it was really a sign that we needed support more than just cannabis. Um, at that point, I had not tried mushrooms, but I, I had known a lot about them. I, I've been uh, studying entheogenic plants for a really long time, and I, I was already planning on trying them when all this happened. So it was really a sign that this was something that that I needed to understand. Um, and then there's a whole story of after I tried the mushrooms, how they they led me up to taking 30 grams in a single dose. So, oh yeah, we'll get into that. Yeah. So was the reason you kept uh, experimenting with these drugs um, because you wanted to get to that level? Like because of um, the shrooms being a part of the church? Well, that's the reason I first tried them. Um, you know, I, I wasn't, the church wasn't going to provide anything unless I understood it. And, you know, I, I, at the time I had no idea there was such thing as high dose mushrooms. Um, it's really the mushrooms that led me up on the, the path to go the, all, all the way up there. But the, um, the first time I tried them, I did two grams and I had the classic experience and then knowing, you know, since I'm running the church, I need to try the five gram heroic dose, uh, a few weeks later, I did that, and that's where things started getting really weird. So how was that? Like, you can just talk about it right now. We can just get into it. Yeah, like, for sure. So, well, so I, I, I did five grams, um, very intense experience, but I came out of it in a loop, repeating over and over, you need to do more mushrooms, and you need to learn how to breathe. And I must have said this a hundred times when I finally sobered up, I was like, well, I don't know what you're talking about mushrooms. I'm breathing right now, but knowing the lethal dose for mushrooms is somewhere around five pounds. I decided, okay, well, I guess I need to try more. So a few weeks later, letting the tolerance clear out, I did 10 grams, uh, another really intense experience, but I came back in the same loop. You need to learn how to breathe and you need to do more mushrooms. And again, I must have said that a hundred times. 
Well, this time when I sobered up, I decided to Google how to breathe. And if you Google how to breathe, you'll find a TED talk and you'll find a bunch of doctors talking about how as a society, we've forgotten how to breathe. And what they're talking about is we have a muscle called our diaphragm that's literally our muscle to breathe with. And the problem is that we're now having elderly um, with a, a, a new disease or condition where their diaphragms have atrophied because they've stopped using it their entire life. And now we're having breathing problems simply because we stopped using the muscle that we have to breathe with. And that was what was really weird is I was one of those people. So how did I know that I didn't know how to breathe? That's crazy. Yeah. And, and as far as I see it, there's, there's really only two possibilities. And I, really, for me, they're both true. But I think the second one is really what was happening. Um, one is that the mushrooms allowed me to connect with something inside myself that was then able to clearly communicate to me, hey, man, you're doing this wrong. You need to learn how to do this right. Um, the other possibility, which is, you know, after all the high dose work I've done, um, is what I truly believe is that there are guides on the other side. And they knew this was the very first lesson that I needed to learn before moving forward. So um, the second part of that, you need to do more mushrooms. Um, I, I, a few weeks later, did 15 grams of mushrooms. And another incredible experience. This is where I actually started to see entities on the other side come through into this reality. Um, and the message I got out of that one is there's more knowledge to spread and do more mushrooms. So given I had just taken 15 grams of mushrooms and I'm being told to do more, um, I was a little freaked out and I started to search about high dose mushrooms found the uh the late kalindi e um kalindi had been doing high dose mushrooms for over 40 years before he passed away but fortunately um he was at a conference in portland the next weekend and i was able to attend the conference i walk in the door the registration desk is to my right standing right in front of me is kalindi and he, he's the first person to say anything to me, and he thinks he recognizes me. So, you know, it's, um, they talk about how so many things line up. There's so many synchronicities that come along with the psychedelic use and definitely with mushrooms. But um, that was a great event. I met Kalindi. Uh, the whole event was about the sacred use of entheogenic plants. So it was absolutely where I needed to be. Uh, came back and did 20 grams of mushrooms, um, a couple weeks later. Wow. Um, another incredible experience, uh, more interaction with entities on the other side, physically coming into my environment. So, you know, it's like they're in my room talking with me. Um, and I came out of that one with, um, the journey has just begun and do more mushrooms. So, uh, you know, it, fortunately I'd met Kalindi. So I, I was, I was comfortable doing 
more of this work, but the next dose that I did after 20, uh, a few weeks later, again, one of the important things is you, you got to let your tolerance clear out with these. Yeah. It's, it's not a matter of, you know, building up enough tolerance so that you can take them. It's, it's more training yourself so you know how to exist in these spaces and let your tolerance clear out um, so that you can get where you're going. Uh, but then I did 30 grams and uh, another incredibly intense experience, um, traveling through other dimensions, uh, dealing with a, a bunch of different entities, things people would call gods or spirits. Uh, I came out of that one with the message, uh, everything will be okay. Fortunately, not do more mushrooms. Okay. So, Oh, there you go. Yeah. yeah. The, um, the, literally, the, the mushrooms led me to doing these doses. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I wasn't, as far as I knew when I started this work, um, five grams was the max anybody should take. And the mushrooms told me otherwise, is that wow. there's a lot more past that point. Wow. How long did that trip last for you? Like 30 grams? Well, it, regardless of how much you do, they all last about the same amount of time, um, somewhere between four to eight hours. Mm -hmm. and, and really, I, I would say three to four hours is the most intense part of the trip. And then after that, it's it's more like the the normal use of psychedelics where you'll see some wiggly things for a few more hours after that. But the intense part where you're leaving your body and interacting with entities on the other side, that all happens within three to four hours. Wow. Is, was there like a specific strain of mushroom that you took for these or did, did it not matter? Um, you know, the <clears throat> when it comes to strains, basically everything you can get is a different type of cubensis. So golden teachers, penis envy, um, you know, it, and any of the the strains that you can easily get from people, they're all different types of cubensis, which is because that's the strain that grows best indoors in a small environment. Um, and as far as, as far as those goes, I don't really notice much of a difference between different cubensis strains other than strength. Um, and, and as I was working my way up, I, I did tend to try to keep to one strain, but I, I mixed them. And, you know, I, at this point I've done about somewhere over 25 high dose ceremonies uh, myself. And again, they, as far as cubensis strains go, I don't really notice much of a difference other than some growers grow stronger mushrooms than others. You have like a favorite strain? Um, I, I have a favorite grower. <laughs> you know that, that that's that's really the way I look at it more. Um, as far as strains go, again, I, I don't really see much of a difference. Um, but what what I do look for is closed caps uh, with a lot of bluing on the mushrooms, and I like to talk to the grower and and know what what practices they use. They need to be clean, not have substrate on the bottom still. Um, mm. But those are the things I look for over the specific strain. It's got to be uh, harvested correctly at the right time. 
dried correctly and cleaned correctly. So going back to um, the church and how it started. So you were, you said you were given the opportunity to start the church. How did that happen? Um, you know, a friend of mine approached me and he said, hey, we have this property and I, I know you've been debating doing a church for a long time. Why don't you do it here? And you've always wanted to do like a, uh, well, like cannabis related thing or just like any church? Yeah, I mean, the cannabis, so up until I tried mushrooms, the only thing I had ever done was a lot of cannabis. Yeah. And when I say a lot, in my in my heyday, I was smoking about two ounces per day. So a lot of cannabis. And, you know, of course, the top quality cannabis in California. I mean, it's very strong stuff. That's like um, very impressive. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's yeah, well, it's what happens when you just let your tolerance build up and build up. Yeah. Um, but the, the thing with the church is I, I had actually... Um, 2009, I opened the first cannabis club in San Jose, and I also kind of started a, um, a church at that point, it was more of a joke. It was, uh, the church of more pot and, um, at, at burning man, I would go around converting people to the religion and preaching of the good word of more pot. But I, I, it started as a joke and as the years progressed, people took it more and more serious to the point where I, I had to take it serious. Mm -hmm. um, and cannabis has helped me through a lot of things. You know, it's, it's without a doubt, it was my spiritual tool prior to finding mushrooms. And even today, it's, it's a very important part of the work that I do. Um, but again, it just, it kind of all lined up where I, I had access to this property. I had some people who wanted me to do it. So we opened as a cannabis church. Um, not knowing that the mushrooms had some other things planned for me. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it was when Oakland passed their lowest priority for all entheogenic plants. And, you know, of course, entheogenic means for religious or spiritual use. Um, it, it was a sign for me that yeah, clearly this, I was on the right path and this is something that I need to incorporate. Wow. So, um, as the years went by, you just kept like recruiting more people and were people also like recruiting others? Like without you? Yeah. Well, it, again, that, that was, that was the church of more pot and you know, <laughs> there, there was, there definitely, uh, that was spreading, but that, that was not something I really took that serious. Um, prior to the the opportunity for the church uh up here in oakland to to manifest so it, it was i i had a bunch of people following me and uh it, you know i mainly mainly did it at burning man so it was a, a religion out there um but little did i know it was all a setup for what i'm doing now so what is the foundation of the Church of Ambrosia, like the theory of religious evolution? Yeah, so that's, um, you know, it's, it's basically a modified version of what Terrence McKenna was talking about with the stoned ape theory. Um, 
you know, there, there's a couple problems I have with the stoned ape theory, but the biggest one is that just the name itself doesn't do it justice for what it really is. Um, and, you know, the, the stone ape theory, when people generally talk about it, they're talking about more of the scientific um, evolution part about how uh, psilocybin does generate neurons in your brain and can in fact make you smarter um at, at least to some very small level but what i talk about with the religious evolution th uh, doctrine is what the what our ancient ancestors would have seen you know because that's to me that's a lot more significant you know the, these these monkeys were not weighing out five dried grams in silent darkness they were hungry monkeys eating until their belly is full and then when you do that you see some incredible things um but to go through it what what i talk about is our ancient ancestors would have come across these mushrooms um and, and there's there's some science to back it up so one of the things that we know is when we started evolving from apes into humans it was when we were being chased out of the forest by climate change and we ended up in the grasslands which is where these mushrooms grow um what would have happened is our ancestors looking for bugs uh to eat because they, they're in a new environment they don't really know how to survive out there one thing they know is they can eat bugs while looking for the bugs they were led to a patch of mushrooms eating the, being a hungry monkey and filling their belly with these tasty mushrooms, not knowing what's gonna happen, but just because they're starving. Uh, about a half hour to an hour after you eat these, and especially in the higher doses, you meet, you see entities coming into your environment with knowledge that isn't coming from you that they want to teach you. And they can do this without language even existing. Wow. So the the wow. thing that yeah, the thing that helped our ancestors survive and evolve in this new environment was them consuming these mushrooms. That's it's just like so mind blowing to think of it like that. But yeah, I I saw that theory as well in the Fantastic Fungi, it was a Netflix documentary, and I was yep. like that's absolutely crazy but like i wouldn't be surprised if that really happened <laughs> yeah I, I mean it definitely happened there, there's you know they again we we can there's some science that backs it up and one of them is that there's i think 23 species of primates that consume mushrooms today so it's not there's no stretch to say that monkeys eat mushrooms hmm. um in addition to that we know that we were being chased out of the, the forest by climate change and all of our food sources were drying up and we were forced into this new environment where we would have undoubtedly come across these mushrooms. Um, so it's, you know, the, the religion that, that we're talking about is something that does rely relatively heavy on science, um, but it also goes beyond that because once once you consume a lot of these mushrooms, you see things that science can't explain right now.
Yeah, I totally see that. So once you got set up this, you know, the Church of Ambrosia, like, you know, got the mushrooms, the cannabis, how did you guys attract so many members? Because I think I read, what is it, like 20,000? Uh, we, we had about 20,000 when we got raided. Uh, we now yeah, have... Please talk about that. Yeah, we, we now have over 40,000. Um, wow. Today. So, That's crazy. Yeah, the, the raid was actually, uh, I mean, it, it never feels good to have cops come in and, and take everything you have and put guns in your face. But as far as us um, being known to the general public, um, the the raid was great for us. Mm. Uh, but how we got to 20,000 before that, um, you know, we were word of mouth. You know, there, there's just, there's a lot of people in Oakland that, that use a lot of cannabis and we using word of mouth tactics and still to this day to join the church, you, you need to be referred by a current member. We, we do have a way you can submit an application. We'll review it and, and somebody from the staff will refer you, but um, we're really, really built on the word of mouth model and people referring their friends to bring them into the church. Very cool. So can you talk about like the, was the raid your first uh, issue with the church or were there like many others? No, the raid was the first. Oh, you wow. Know, it, was, it was something that we were expecting from the day we opened up. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I was ready to defend the spiritual use of cannabis at a federal level um, the day I opened up. Yeah. I, I never imagined that I, I'd be talking about mushrooms or that the raid that, that actually happened would have been local PD. We were, we were expecting either state or federal um, law enforcement, but it was actually the local Oakland PD who conducted the raid. So it, it was expected, but unexpected and especially unexpected from the Oakland PD who knew we existed. And we had, we had been working with to provide video footage of, of different crimes in the neighborhood. So we, we were, we had a relatively good relationship with the Oakland PD before the raid happened. Wow. So um, I heard about a lawsuit that you guys did. Yeah, well, we haven't actually filed it yet, but we okay. have two years from the point of the raid. So August of this year, we will be filing the lawsuit. Um, the thing is, it has to be at a federal level. So we have to sue the Oakland PD in federal court to get the protections for the church. Wow. Um, and, and, you know, it, <clears throat> when you talk about divine setup and how things align with these the the raid was actually kind of the best thing that could have happened to us um one it was not like any other raid that i i've ever even heard of um you know they generally when when law enforcement comes in to raid any sort of uh marijuana business or any other business they don't stop until the building is empty. Um, mm -hmm. With this, I managed to negotiate with the cops to get them to leave halfway through the raid and leave a lot of our stuff intact. 
And the way I did that really kind of highlights what was really going on. So we have, I'll, I'll just tell you what happened during the whole raid. Yeah, yeah. So I was about five minutes away when I get a call that the cops are there and they're raiding it. I run down, I get there while they're still clearing people out of the building. I start yelling at the cops that you're violating our religious freedom. What are you doing here? This is the lowest priority for law enforcement in Oakland. Why are there a bunch of Oakland PD doing this? Um, and I'm the one who can let you into the saves, AKA I'm the one responsible. And if you're going to arrest anybody, arrest me. Um, they came up, they took my information and then they said, I'm free to go. So I left, <clears throat> smoked a fat joint, talked to an attorney, came up with a plan. We, I went back down there about two hours later with a letter from the attorney saying, if you guys sign this, I'll let you into the saves. And the letter basically said, you, you acknowledge that we see this as a violation of our religious freedom. Um, the sergeant on scene and I went back and forth for about a half hour over this, him saying, I can't be the one to sign this. The only one who could sign this would be the city attorney and me saying, well, I, I'm not going to let you into the safes unless I get somebody to sign this. And then pointing out to him. So we had um, six saves in there. It took them two hours to cut into one of the saves using firefighters at the height of fire season so wow. it, it, was, it was pretty ridiculous and so i pointed out to him look it took you two hours to get into that i got four more of those and then i have one safe in there that's rated at eight hours for a professional safe cracker so you know everything you're doing about breaking into saves you have all the tools you've got everything set up it's going to take you a minimum of eight hours to break into that safe. So I told them, Hey, look, we've got at least 14 hours for me to go get a hold of the city attorney. Um, I guess that's, that's what, what I'm going to have to do. The police officer, the Sergeant comes back with the, the compromise of let us into the eight hour safe. And if you do that, we'll pack our bags and leave. And you know, my attorney on the phone is jumping for joy saying, do it, do it. Uh, I'm playing a little cool saying like, how do I know you guys are actually going to leave if I do that? Right. Um, but if I had millions of dollars in cash, one would assume they would be in the best safe that we have. So really they were looking for money. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I told the sergeant, hey, there's nothing in that safe but some old paperwork, but he said, well, look, we have to get into that safe. So let us in and then we'll leave. I opened the safe. There's nothing but some old paperwork. Um, the, the police officer who was actually on the warrant, uh, John Romero looks at the old paperwork, tosses it back down. Obviously he's looking for cash and they pack their bags and leave. Um, but you know, this was the first time I, I've been in the cannabis industry for a long time, and I've known a lot of people who have been raided. I've never been raided myself, but this is something that has never happened. They 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 left four of our saves totally intact. They left their surveillance system intact. 
they packed their bags and left. That's that's why we have the video footage of what they were actually doing in the in the safe room. <clears throat> um, but all of this was really, uh, from my perspective, a setup from the divine. The, this was the best case scenario of how we get into court to protect the religious use of cannabis and mushrooms. Yes. You know, they, it, if the feds had come in, we would have had the same lawsuit, but they wouldn't have stopped. And I would probably have been sitting in jail for a while. Um, but the fact that no one was arrested, um, the majority of our, our safes were intact, um, and the surveillance system was still still good. It, 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 that's never been heard of in any any raid that's ever happened. Yeah, I was so surprised when there's been no arrest. I was like, "What? They did all that?" And <laughs> like, that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, they, there is some action that that the city is taking. The planning department is is trying to pressure our landlords to get us out. Um, but no criminal action, you know, if generally, if you're going to raid somebody, you follow it up with some sort of criminal charges. Yeah. So as a member, what do people do at the church? Well, you know, th things have been a little different since COVID. Um, so at this point, uh, we provide access to the sacraments so that they can take it home and do their own ceremonies. Um, though I am about to restart the sermons again, I had to find a, a larger location because our, our current church just can't fit anywhere close to the number of people who want to come out. Wow. Um, but prior to the pandemic, we were a space for people to gather. And then every Sunday we would do a, a sermon at 420 or pass out joints. And I would talk about cannabis, mushrooms, other antheogenic plants and religion. That's awesome. Like, <laughs> I wish Oakland was closer to me. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I mean, if we, we win this lawsuit, it'll be at a federal level. So that will be a, a case against a local police department raiding a church like us that will be valid in any state so yeah that, you know it, it it's gonna take a long time it's you know lawsuits like this could take four or five maybe even 10 years to finally resolve but yeah once we do it'll set a new precedence for our, our church oh i hope everything goes amazing with that <laughs> but so what are your goals or aspirations for the future of the church well you know i mean it, at this point we just need to keep growing and and spreading the information you know it, it's the these tools are some of the most important that humans can use and in the case of mushrooms you know the religion that we're reviving is well over 200,000 years old. This is the first way that we started to experience there's something more to this existence. And understanding what's over there, you know, it, it, it's, there's an endless amount of information 
that needs to be brought back into humanity. Mm-hmm. And where do you want to be in the future? When are you? Do you want to continue growing this church? If, <laughs> this is I, I'm where I need to be. This is going to continue to grow. Um, you know, we're the aspirations that we have is to be as big as any other large religion. Um, you know, the big difference is I'm not saying you need to listen to me. You have to follow a book. What I'm saying is you need to work with the tools and start understanding what you need to learn. Do you think there will be uh, psilocybin dispensaries in the near future? Well, not in California. Um, the There's... You know, there, there is one initiative that hopes to get on the ballot for 2022, but I, I would be pretty surprised if they actually make it. Um, so the next one would be 2024. Um, and we'll see. I, I hope so. You know, more people having access to these tools is, is really going to help the whole world. Um, but as far as where the law is at right now, um, we're a long ways off from actually seeing some sort of legal psilocybin dispensary. Although many people want it to exist. Well, at least you have the church. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so can anyone join the church? And um, there was a way to join. Yeah. It, it, there's um, so on our website, uh, zidedoor.com and that's z-i-d-e door.com there's an application where people can apply for a membership um anybody's welcome to apply we we do have some requirements and we do make sure that everybody fits uh our requirements to join so it's not it's not necessarily anybody um but as long as you fit within what what we believe is right then you're allowed to join awesome well this was an amazing talk so where where can people find you on social media um mainly instagram i i don't i don't use social media as much as i should but the only one i really use is my um instagram which is dave hemp um that's just ig at dave hemp awesome well, great. Thank you so much. I'm definitely going to look into that. Yeah. <laughs> Signing yeah, it, church. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, I, I do post, uh, you know, a lot of the higher dose ceremonies and pictures of how to make tea and what the tea looks like, um, you know, in, in some of the really, you know, some of the tea that I make, which is just pure mushrooms, comes out looking so beautiful. You, you can't... It, it, you don't even imagine it being tea it'll, it'll come out this really like beautiful royal blue color uh because there's so much psilocybin in it. oh that sounds amazing yeah. <laughs> i really want to see that yeah it, it, it's amazing but it's also kind of terrifying when you really understand how much psilocybin is in there but oh i bet all right well thank you so much for taking the time to be here today i'm sure a lot of people are excited to listen to this episode yeah so- no problem Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows.
Season 1 of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.